Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists empowerment talk radio. Speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know? Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action blo- auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground. It's Saturday night, and if that is so, then it is time for Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, your host, but this is your Our Common Ground. Um, Thank you for being with us, and for those of you who are listening on your smart devices and you would like to join in on the discussion in our chat room, it is available at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And for those who are listening on your something else and you would like to listen over your smartphone, Our number is 347-838-9852, and we have made room for you. Tonight we're going to be talking about, once again, the idea of black America, a state of emergency. That is the Our Common Ground theme for 2014. And as we move through the month of February, celebrating, notating, and actually embracing the notion 
that knowledge can be transformed to power one black story at a time, one black fact at a time. So in celebrating and notating Black History Month, what we are doing this year for black history is we're not talking about it. We're revisiting our history. And our guest tonight, Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose, can walk us through the journey that we have taken, the outlying issues of our history, what it means and how we can transform it, truth to power. We, If you are new to us, thank you for joining us. If you're one of our regular listeners and supporters, we thank you as well. Don't forget that you can subscribe to our Facebook page at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And you can follow us on Twitter at Janice OCG. Now, we have a number of places where we are in uh, the web. Our main place, our official place is OurCommonGround.com, but we do program notes in two places. And we do that for a specific reason. One is because we started it and we didn't want to lose you, so we continued it, and that is our common ground, hyphen talk dot ning dot com, and the other is our common ground talk dot wordpress dot com. I am one of those people who always test things to see if something is going to work before I implement it, and uh, this testing has been going on for a couple of years now to see where we ought to be. We do have subscribers who subscribe to our weekly newsletter, and they are at the Ning site. And you know how you all can be. You you know how you all can be. Um, We don't want to risk losing anyone by asking you to subscribe someplace else because everybody doesn't have a WordPress site. But neither there or not we'll, we'll continue to post in as many places in our pin Pinterest uh, site, on our Tumblr site, on our Blogspot site. Um, what else do we have? We have a whole bunch of stuff uh, because I've been on these internets for well over 20 years before there was Windows, <laughs> when there was only a, only one way in which black people talked to each other, uh, and that was with email lists. Remember the old concept, lists? Well, in any case, um, stay with us. We need your support. We need you to let your friends know that we are here. We don't have um, the backing of a marketing and advertising group like those who are on Sirius XM and those who are on uh, terrestrial radio, large terrestrial radio uh, Pacifica or that kind of stuff. So do we do, we don't ask you to pay for this. You couldn't pay for what we do at Our Common Ground. There's no mo- amount of money uh, that you could uh, give us to do this. Uh, I work five days a week um, to uh, be able to live 
but this is my life's work, and I have been doing this for 29 years. I used to get paid for it. Not a lot of money because I wanted to have, I would rather have the autonomy of what I do rather than being paid huge amounts of money and having people tell me what I should do. So this is my thing, and we run it my way, and it's been working for 29 years. There is no other radio program other than a few that has, the, has chronicled the ideas, the brilliance, and the history of black people in this country in the way our common ground has. And our guest tonight started with us on this radio program in 1988. You hear me? 1988. We can go back in our audio archives and we find people like Haki Matabuti, Barbara Smith, Dorothy Height, um, Dr. Naeem Akbar, um, Oscar Brown Jr., Dick Gregory, um, when he was in really a, a political matrix struggle. Um, we, you can find Dr. Francis Cress Welsing uh, in our archives back in the 80s, Dr. Amos Wilson, Dr. Clark, Dr. Ben. There is no other medium where you can find people talking for two or three hours about what they think, why they think it, and what direction we should do. I call it black guidance. You know, like all the government agencies have these guidance memos. Our common ground is black guidance, and we're going to get more of that tonight. And I'm going to stop talking so we can get to it. Dr. LaFrancis Rogers-Rose, a pioneer in moving, mobilizing, empowering our consciousness about black women, and their relationship to black family, community, and our ancient history. You're listening to Our Common Ground, if you've just joined us, and thank you so much. And we are going to begin our broadcast featuring A House Divided. You know that I have been saying that for now, for two or three years, if you join us each Saturday night. We have become a house divided, and it is something that we must fix. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with our sister. Hey, you know that was the wrong. This is what our ancestors said when they had been invaded and people had started to take over. This is what they said. They said, behold now how greatly the people have changed. One who once did not sleep even on a box now owns a bed. And those who once owned robes are now in rags. And those who once did not weave for themselves now own fine linen. And those who knew nothing of God now make offerings to him with the incense of others. End quote. And all those things look bleak in this book of transformation written thousands of years ago. The ancient Kemites go on to say that my art, righteousness, and order will return to its place 
and excess, evil, and chaos will be driven away. And they talk about a king coming from the south named Amen, who will vindicate Egypt, born of a Nubian woman. We cannot let our children forget their ancestors. Cannot let them forget those who lie on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, whose names we will never know. We must remember, least our children will never know. Where I've been interviewing older black women about their mothers. This has been going on since 1987. We have interviewed more than 100 women over the age of 65 about their mothers. And we asked them, tell me about your mother. How would you characterize her? What values did your mother give you? What sayings or proverbs did she use? What songs did she sing? What foods did she cook? What home remedies did she use when you were sick? And then what did you tell your children when you raised them? And when you say, how would you characterize them? The question of character gets at the very core of personality and the behavior of these older women. The question of value is pivotal in any discussion of culture. It is central to the culture, suggesting that uh, that which propels people to action is the value that they believe in. Because if children are not properly socialized, we will not leave descendants who will honor our memory and keep us alive. When we no longer call the ancestors' name, the culture dies, and we find ourselves in a similar situation that the ancient Egyptians of Kemet found themselves in thousands of years ago. And in Milana Karenga's we the descendants of millions of Africans who sacrificed for us to be here, must step beyond the narrow confines of Western science and thought. We must establish research agendas that liberate the lives of African people worldwide. And those of us in the United States know the Western culture better than any other African. We have lived with them, raised their children, cleaned their house, bore their children who they have abandoned. Research questions that we raised must go beyond the alleged low self-esteem, self-hatred of black people. We must begin to look at the vast majority of Africans in the diaspora who have managed to hold on to their core culture, who manage their lives without much fanfare, who continue to create the only, quote, true American culture, although they are never given credit for doing so. And that is, whatever you think is American, we must look to African-Americans for its authenticity. We must look at the spiritual, look at the blues, look at jazz, look at rap, look at Martin dance, look at tap dance, look at the Charleston, the cakewalk, jitterbug, hustler, electric slide, whatever. 
We must raise research questions that begin to explain how an oppressed people can raise in its midst of oppression a David Walker, an Anna Judah Cooper, a Henry Highland Garnett, a Harriet Tutman, a Booger T. Washington, a Ida B. Wells Barnett, a Denmark Vesey, a Mary Church Terrell, a Martin Delaney, a W.B. Du Bois, a Mary McLeod Bethune, a Paul Roberson, a Fannie Lou Heyman, or a Marcus Garvey. These individuals are no accidents. They grew up and out of an African core. They were endowed with a character and a personality by their parents, by relatives and friends, living in the most devastating conditions. And yet, they have given the world individuals who are profound philosophical writers and impeccable in their behavior. And what is the core culture of African Americans that produce inventors like Elijah McCoy, the real McCoy, like Madam C.J. Walker and the great athletes that go back to the first ten original winners of the Kentucky uh, Derby to the boxers and the track players and the baseball players and the basketball players. What is this? The divine world was based on the complementarity of the sexes, which was forever becoming, forever evolving the process of becoming and returning to the source. And as we move away from our center, as we have changed this complementarity of male and female, life has become compartmentalized. The religious is separated from the political, the economic from the sacred, the physical from the spiritual, the law from the practice, male from female. And it is the imbalance in the creative force of becoming, the divine principle of male and female that explains much of our present conditions. Because a house divided cannot stand. We buying into somebody else's existential basis of reality have divided ourselves on male and female. We've let people come into the house and say women should not have that much power. Not realizing that from an African perspective before existence even came into an existence there was male and female. So what are the conditions? What I call a search for core black culture. What happens to a people's character? What happens to a people's personality who is forcefully snatched from its existential basis and placed in a culture that is diametrically opposed to the very core of their own character? What happens when you're placed in a culture that hates women and sees women as a commodity to be bought and sold? 
tonight at Our Common Ground. Scholar, author, lecturer, prolific philosopher, black women, and the restoration of the house divided. This is Our Common Ground. 2014, Black America, State of Emergency. Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose is the CEO and founder of the International Black Women's Congress. We'll be talking with her about the issues challenging black family, black children, black women, and activism in our community. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Stay tuned. Francis Rogers Rose, and as you hear from her prolific words, you get to know her. For 15 years, she was the core professor in the African American Studies program at Princeton University and taught courses on black woman, the black family, black self-concept, research in the black community, and the social psychology of black students on white college campuses. She served as both a formal and informal advisor at Princeton on junior and senior thesis papers. She is the founder and CEO for the past 31 years of the International Black Women's Congress. And at our common ground, we are so pleased to have you, Dr. LaFrancis Rogers-Rose, join us once again. Thank you, my sister. It's so good to be with you. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you again. The last time that uh, you and I had a uh, discussion, um, it was uh, also your your brother, Dr. James T. Rogers, joined us. And that was such a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. But l- let's, let's catch up a, a little bit. Um, <clears throat> tell us. Uh, Dr. Rogers Rose, what is, what is what you are doing in the International Black Women's Congress now? And for those who do not know what the Congress is all about, give us a give us an overview. Well, um, I guess we've been at it just a little longer than you've had the radio show. Just a few, just two years difference. Right. Um, our mission, we say, is to bring forth exemplary models of black or African womanhood by defining ourselves, naming ourselves, and proving ourselves through socioeconomic uh, political empowerment. Uh, we've done that, uh, I think, mainly through our yearly uh, international conferences uh, that have looked at various themes that impact uh, black women, such as the black family. Uh, we've had a conference on what do we tell our daughters. 
Uh, we had two back-to-back conferences on violence against black women. Um, we are moving toward looking at some economic issues. We've done economics in the mid-90s, uh, and now we are having uh, last year's conference theme was on um, black women, uh, economic empowerment, and what is it happening to us internally that keep us from having our own wealth building uh, ways of behaving. And uh, this year coming in, uh, we're looking at economic, uh, the, the whole economic conditions of women of African ancestors from an uh, economic, political, structural perspective. Uh, locally, we do things in uh, HIV-AIDS prevention for the last 20 years. We've done some parent training. I've done some um, training for uh, people going into uh, advocacy on behalf of uh, low-income people. I've done some training for uh, women just trying to tell them about their own culture and their history and who we are as women that then gives you some sense of who you are, that we can get out of some of our, you know, economic mindsets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I am. I, 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 you've I, been at this a very long time, and one of the things I didn't mention was that you were one of the founders, and you are, are you currently on the board of the American um, Society of Black, uh, uh, the American, Black uh, uh, Sociology? Black no, I'm mm-hmm. not, but I am a founding member and an early, uh, I think it was either the third or the fourth president of that organization, which is now, I think, 42 or 43 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I pretty much have put most of my energy in the last 30 years, I would say, within you know the International Black Women's Congress and uh, perhaps ASCAD. Uh, you know, the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilization, and particularly, you know, with Sister Nzinga, uh, Rashabiti Haru, mm-hmm. who uh, passed uh, an ancestor now uh, going on three years in August. Yeah, her her death, her sudden death was just such a, uh, a tragic, tragic, um, and such a loss to, to our community. One of the things that I've been concerned about, Dr. Rogers-Rose, is all of the discourse that's going on in this millennial generation about black feminism. And it's almost as though we have moved from um, our discourse in our community about family to focusing on um, black women and black feminist quote unquote thought what's your what's your take on that? I try not to get involved in the conversation i mean, i I think it's um there's so many other kinds of things that we could be doing mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's um an Africanness or an African-centered woman kind of issue. Uh-huh. I think that uh, what we're looking at, uh, 2014 feminism, is really white women 
feminism. Uh, I think because I am very much familiar with their early history, um, you know, having been a part of some of that early history, and and uh, the constant effort on their part to try to include uh, people other than white women in their dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so it's always like an afterthought. Um, mm-hmm. So the whole questions now of this whole, of intersexuality, and, and, and that's a way then of, of bringing uh, people of color or women of color into a dialogue of what is of feminism, or you talk about uh, class differences, uh, that's another way of intersecting. And so I think in the conversation, one misses whatever your own history is, and that is what's the history of women of African ancestry living in the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so and I think to 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 sort of hang into that conversation uses up a lot of your energy when you could be doing some other kinds of things in terms of struggle as it relates to the survival of our people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so because um, of that, I, I I really don't get involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I always think I especially over the last year. We've seen a lot of young black women who seem to be struggling for a definition for themselves, especially women in the academy. And because of your background, I, I, I wondered if you had noted this as well. They seem to be struggling for a definition by trying to create a new one. And I always think about your book, Put On Your Red Dress. And in that book, I, I, I pulled it out a, a couple of months ago, as a matter of fact. Um, you wrote, we have turned from ourselves, busy trying to be somebody else, trying not to look like ourselves. We are confused and do not know which way to turn. We are losing our life force. Please talk about that. I still find it to be true. <laughs> And when I get a chance, I still say that to sisters, uh, because you know, if my position, and if we know our history, and our history keeps hitting us in our face, to say that, uh, what does it mean to say that black women, that every person who exists in the world genetically, has a black woman, Lucy, however you want to see her, as its ancestor? that if we are the very first to come into an existence, the very first to be born, the very first to bear children, the very first to raise a family, the very first to do all of these things, then how can we come some thousands of years later to people who are just beginning to to say that I am worth somebody and we're now going to emulate them and define ourselves based on their history of neglect. You can't find yourself in their history. You've got to go mm-hmm. find yourself in your own history. Mm-hmm. And our history mm-hmm. is so crystal clear. 
that you don't have to stumble it over. We just have so many examples of women of African ancestors who've just said, listen, this is who I am, this is what I do, and they've done it very, very well. Have we over-inflated the notion that somehow black women are bearing the mother load of responsibility of rearing children, keeping our community organizations going, developing uh, activism and um, guidance for activists. Uh, have we overinflated that? Because I look at numbers that's so contrary to what the mainstream media feeds to us. For instance, many of us do not recognize that of all the black households in America, 28% of, of, of those households are people who are married couples. And, um, and the rest are somehow different, but we have to transpose how those numbers are captured. Um, yes, and, and, and we also need to look at the Monaghan Report of 1965 when rather than 28%, 78% of all black families were two-parent families. And in mm -hmm. that short span of time, his the, the report, which, you know, he wrote to Congress, became a senator on black women's back or our backs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, talking about our mothers, really. And, at, you know, when, and with that Monaghan report, he, he said that our families were so out of line with white families, which at that point was 90-some percent two-parent families, that there was nothing that could be done. And so rather than finding ways uh, uh, politically and economically to gear up the black family, he said benign neglect. And from mm -hmm. out of the Monaghan report became a whole constant uh, denigration of, of black women and black women's uh, role in the family. And so we also have to know that there has been a concerted effort to destroy uh, the black family. Um, well, if we, went from, if we went from 28, if we went from 70, 78% in the 60s to 28% in 2012, something happened, something shifted. And one of the things that I believe is this whole notion that you talk about is a house divided, that we were able, we were able to allow reports like the Monaghan Report to go pretty much unchallenged in a serious way because all social service programs from that date on were built based on the Monaghan report. That's right. And then, you know, he goes on to be the senator from New York and has all of this power and everybody is just loving him and he's this white democratic, you know, liberal. Nobody really pays any attention, particularly the people of African ancestry, of how 
his writing as some undersecretary, um, you know, and a sociologist, you see, you know, mm-hmm. uh, really uh, laid the groundwork for the government, uh, one, not doing anything in terms of gearing up the, uh, up the black family, but at the same time putting notions about uh, black women having a whole lot of power, black women being destructive, and you know, just a, a whole series of negative uh, stereotypes about us that we uh, uh, many in- internalize them and you can hear oh. them repeated mhm mm-hmm. and they're repeated not only in news reporting it's been built upon so i mean if if you if you want to construct your fact and then build the uh, the evidence behind it it's not very difficult to do and that's what uh the american mainstream media does and then Hollywood and the marketing, Wall Street marketing, begins to use those so-called facts to build their, their, their kingdoms. And we see it in our advertisement. We see it in, in our movies. We see it in TV. We see it in, in, in so many places. And if you do that over a number of generations, there you have it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so uh, uh, one of the things that's what I try to do is, as much as possible is to have the kind of conversation that we're having now in terms mm-hmm. of where did you get the notion that black women have so much power or that uh, um, black women um, are emasculating. In, uh, I... I, I try not to even have those kinds of words come from out of my mouth because I know that these are negative kinds of stereotypes that has been used to divide, destroy our families and our relationships. Now, as a scholar and a sociologist, and for those of you who were listening to our introductory clip, Dr. Rogers Rose, you have always been a proponent that one of the things that we need to do and we haven't done it well is to study and understand the strategic and tactical uh, plans and objectives of the oppressor, that we haven't done enough of pulling data mining about how white people continue this trend of demonization of black people. Absolutely. And if we want to hold our jobs in some of these uh, places, then we, you know, have to be quiet. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of people who could speak on our behalf, but who have these kinds of jobs and positions who can't say anything or who won't say anything because, you know, their livelihood is dependent on it and, and they don't want to lose their jobs. And so we don't have the leadership. We don't have, you know, someone who's speaking up for us. Um, we, we can see the kind of thing that happened to, uh, you know, Dr. Francis Cress-Wellman. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you were around her, during that well, time. Tell that story. She, you know, one, she's a medical doctor. She's a psychiatrist. Uh, can't be, you couldn't have more training than she had. 
and you know, uh, she the crest theory of color confrontation, which is then someone looking at the whole psychology of white people to say, well, if I think the passage that I like best is that she says, if blondes are having more fun, you don't have to hit me over the head with it. You don't have to constantly be putting blondes in my face and telling me that they're having more fun. I should be able to see that myself. And so she said it could be, looking psychologically at that, is that blondes maybe are not having more fun. And it's really the brunette, the dark heads that's having more fun. And 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 so she 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 looked at that part, and then she just looked at uh, whites' concern at a very deep psychological level that they really don't have any color, and that with our color, and that is people who have melon, they can e- e- easily be annihilated. Out of that kind of discussion, you know, and she's teaching. Uh, and I think she's at Howard University. She was at Howard Medical, Medical School. School. That's mm-hmm. right. And the government kind of intercedes and gets her fired. And I mean, and even after they got them got her fired all those many years ago, and she's still doing the best she can in terms of making a living. Now they're trying to come and take her property. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when when you have to be ready for white people when you question them and their psychology or their economics or what they are doing. As long as we are within our own race and destroying ourselves, they're happy. But if you stop to say, let me analyze something about their psychology, I think in one of the papers that I have, I said, you know, we dare not to to look at what's the kind of psychology of a person doing the enslavement could have a black person serving them dinner with no clothes on, as if they did not exist. I mean, how, how, and I mean, your children are there, your wife is there, your, your mother is there, and this is what, you know, you have people walking around. What kind of, what kind of a mindset of a person would take his family to a lynching? Of, an, of a black person and have a picnic. I mean, what is the psychological mindset? And we have enough psychologists and psychiatrists around that ought to be able to explain that to us. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's, been, it's not safe talking about, about white people and what white people do. But it is safe for us to constantly talk about ourselves and and make ourselves the uh, the villain rather than the victim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, I often think about how, you know, in this recent um, trial regarding the murder of Jordan Davis, how we have contorted ourselves to the extent that we have tried to figure out what Jordan Davis might have done differently and still be alive. Right. I mean, we've 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 actually gone to that level uh because of our 
resistance, because of our fear of looking white supremacy in the eye and making the claim. That's that it's that's alive how and we well. are handling it. Yep, that it's, it's alive and well, and you know, so many drastic things are happening to us on a daily basis, and I'm. I'm wondering, I'm saying, so when is somebody really going to analyze this and say something about this and say what it really is? Nobody says anything. Mm-hmm. They just kind of like yeah. complain or, or like you say, try to find some justification or some reason that this kid could have done something differently and that would not have made this man, quote, angry, that he would take out his gun. And just mm-hmm. shoot him. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this whole notion about the house divided. Let's talk about black relationships. What is your take on where we are? Why we are seeing um, the proliferation of so many breakdowns in our relationship between black men and black women? Uh, you know, there are there are some items out there that we're always talking about and we're always talking about black men marrying white women and preferring to have white women. Uh, there's always discussion about uh, black men talking about white uh, black black women and wearing weaves and wearing makeup and trying to uh, make themselves up to look like white women. I mean, there's just so much garbage that it is very difficult to get some clarity, and I'm hoping that you can bring some of that to us about what these relationships mean, what we bring to the table that we forget in these relationships. Well, one, I think we've got to be able to stop to see how much of somebody else's reality we are, are functioning out of. What, when, we, when we have a conversation with each other, if we indeed can, and, and we're making statements to each other, I think we need to ask ourselves each time, so how do you know that that's true? Where did that come from? So that we can begin to see, are we holding on to ideas and notions about how black women function or how black men function from somebody somebody else's definition about us. Um, I think that a number of African-American women have, indeed, early on you said, you know, uh, could feel abandoned, left, to, to carry on a lot of the responsibility and there's nobody around to help her raise children, etc. I, I think we need to stop and look at that, be able to talk about that. Some of our relationships end not because the man did anything wrong, but because it was something that we did. I mean, do we carry chips on our shoulders so that we are always looking for small things rather than looking at the whole larger picture. 
so that we may also, both both male and female, have internalized these very negative definitions. That's like we say, it's out there in the it's out there in the public. It's it's movies about us. It's uh, social science writers about us. All of that to make sure that we stay apart rather than together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My position that I talk to young people as much as I can. I talk to my grandnieces. Just very recently, talking to one of my grandnieces about uh, her attitude that you know someone has to pursue me. And, you know, she'll go someplace and nobody is saying anything to me. But, you know, so my thing was you can't act as if you're not approachable. It's not that you're going to act like you're just there to pick up somebody, but you've got to have at least a whole kind of friendly face or be relaxed that someone may even want to come up and possibly say, hello, what's your name, you see. So some of the ways that we behave, uh, attitudes that have gotten real hard over the time because people have been sort of like knocking us down. Mm-hmm. So I think together, uh, women socializing and training uh, other women and having men who are socialized and training men and making sure that we have clearer visions of each other makes it possible for us to come together. And then I think we need to start doing things together, you know, having events together. Uh, we're so separate in the, in the media that we have today. really does not make for inter, good interpersonal relationships. You know, but, but one of the things in our history is that we have had infrastructure in our communities to facilitate all, and I agree of all of the things that you have said, but in many ways that, the, the infrastructure has crumbled. How do we begin to reclaim uh, how our churches, how our community organizations assist in that process? Well, I think for, some of us have left the communities, and we need to go back. You know, some people, you know, they go to an African-American church, but they only go on Sundays, and they come from the suburbs into the inner cities. And so many of the churches, I live in Norfolk, Virginia, and many of, and I also live in a historical African-American community. I live there by design, you know, so some of these choices where we live, where we, you know, so that we, we are close to our community. When I have activities, I just recently had um I think you know that I'm a heart transplant recipient. Yes. And so this is my 11th year of my heart transplant. And so every year I've been having this uh, heart awareness um, gala or legacy ball to just bring forth the whole need to understand uh, donation, organ donations, and the need for more African Americans to donate. But I, I do that where it is easy for people who live in the inner city to get to my event. I cost it out 
in such a way that uh, low-income uh, people can come to the event. I have had uh, situations where I know last year I bought at least three outfits for people so that I made sure that when they came to the event, they looked like everybody else. So we have to make some choices, some some efforts on our own part to make sure that we are trying to keep our institutions, you know, going. I mean, if we are all abandoned and live in some place else and only complaining, then, then yes, it's, it, 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 institutions will dissolve if there is no one helping to build it up. Um, we've got to find ways to keep our churches open more than just on um, on Sundays. And, uh, you know, our, historically our churches would be open five or six days a week, you know. That's not tr- so true today. So there is some institutional building that needs to go on. But uh, my position is it's never too late. We can start today, each one of us doing a little bit. And a, and a little from everybody adds up to be a whole lot. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so um, we can volunteer to work with the youth, you know. Um, decide to do a special group in your in your church if you belong to a church. Or if you belong to an organization, uh, the, if the organization is not doing anything that's really focused specifically on the community, then you need to make sure that your organization uh, has something that's specifically, you know, designed to strengthen the community. Mm-hmm. So you're really talking about the, the the concept of reach one, teach one, and that I'm I, I'm I'm a big proponent of that we need to be focused on this. We need to be focused on what we are doing in our community and our engagement and relationship to the community from which you are thought to be a part, even if you don't physically live there. Yes, and I think, you know, because so many um, uh, people now are coming back into the cities so that the suburbs, you know, is, is, is changing and perhaps not in my lifetime it will be totally changed, but you can see people who had moved out into the suburbs, they're coming back into the cities and they're reclaiming so much of the inner cities. Mm-hmm. And if we're not there to to have any foot, we will be totally gone. And so in, in, in parts of my community, the only thing downtown which used to be historically an African-American community, the only thing that you can find downtown now that's African-American is our churches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. You know, all of yeah. the stores that we used to have, the buildings and all of those things, the, the little uh, houses that used to make of our communities, you know, they've all been torn down, and, and they've now built these, um, you know, very expensive condos that uh, the average uh, African-American person cannot afford. So those of us who are living in the inner city, we need to hang on to what we got. And then those of us who go to churches in the inner city, we need to figure out a way that we can have more activities in these mm-hmm. churches so that the city doesn't come by 
and try to and, and try to take up some of those properties. I've seen that happen. Well, it's certainly happening in um, in the inner cities across the country. It's almost done. It's almost a done deal. Um, and we don't have the kind of leadership that essentially helps us to recognize and to combat it. You're you're absolutely right. We we've, we've got to have. Uh, it, it, it's it's almost like. We have a kind of amnesia uh, when it comes to figuring out exactly what we need to be holding people accountable for and to. You know, um, let me ask you about this era of Obama. What's your analysis and what's your take on how this has been good and bad and nothing for us as a people. Well, I think it's been good for us to say that we we have an African-American uh, president. I think um, some of us did not realize just having an African-American president was not necessarily going to make any difference in terms of the outcomes of what happens to us as a people. I think that uh, some of us thought that the president had more power than what he actually has. And and so um, I I think what good sociologists tell us is that, you know, presidents come and go and um, senators come and go and all those different people come and go, but the structure survives and and the structure continues. And so our president came in, uh, I, for a moment there, he did have control of both the House and the Senate. And I think at that point, some things could have been done, were not done. But once the House flipped, and he now has uh, the situation of all of these reactionary uh, Republicans, and he can't get anything through the House, then that even cut further the little power that he did have. One of the good things that he said very recently is that he's going to use whatever uh, executive power uh, he has to pass some things. I think he could have also used that executive power earlier. Uh, I think he, as an individual, if you look at individual personalities, I think he's much more of a um, kind of a, neg- a negotiating person. I think um, in terms of his law and that kind of way, I think he's um, much more of a centrist person, you know, um, not too far to the left of center. Mm-hmm. So some of us might have been looking for a more radical person than mm-hmm. what we actually got. Uh, I, I We should be able to see how racist the society still is with the way that he has been treated. Um, so I'm, you know, Good to live through it and see it, but at the same time, uh, you know, recognize that uh, not a whole lot changes just based on presidents. Well, that's that's a, a, a relief to hear from 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 you, um, because I've I've been saying um, that <laughs> that 
we have never as a community relied upon a president to determine either our agenda or the objectives which we set in our activism and in the kind of change we want to bring to our community. Um, and do you think that we have been expecting too much because he is African-American? No, you know, I think he's come into, he came into an existence at a point where we as a people have already been fed this notion that we are beyond racism. Mm -hmm. And I think part of our uh, inability to, to make any kind of movements now as a people is because I think a lot of us bought into this notion that, you know, we were living in a, in a country where uh, race was no longer uh, the, the, the sort of guiding force of this society. Uh, they didn't really look at the history, uh, didn't really look at how long this uh, uh, integration egalitarian notion existed, and that only came about because of the radical push of the 1960s. And so, you know, by, by mid-1970s, everything had pretty much closed up, and we already were getting, you know, rejections in terms of of, uh, of the schools, colleges, and and quota systems and, you know, et cetera. And so um, I don't know that I, for some they might have had more expectations simply because they did not understand how governments run. Uh, but mm -hmm. for the most part, I don't think so. I think it was more like pride for a lot of people. Uh, some people were, some people think that perhaps he could have done more. And perhaps he could have done a little bit more. But I don't know about a whole lot. You might question the the what he put in two two um, um, Supreme Court people. Yes. You might somebody might question the two Supreme Court uh, people, but I don't know that they were not uh, say uh, good liberals. Mm -hmm. I don't know mm -hmm. whether he'll get a chance to put anybody else in, but really, mm -hmm. the Supreme Court for us has been really crucial. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And right now, you know, it's a, it's a relatively conservative Supreme mm -hmm. Court. So the only way we're going to get any action in this country is that we've got to get enough people angry enough, riled up enough, and, you know, realize that the struggle continues and that we need to be out in the street. You know, somebody's got to get angry enough about what's happening to our black children, our black boys, and um, and, and we have to just go out and protest. This society will not change just on its own. The only way it's going to change is it has to be forced to change. Well, I've, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I do want to talk to you about how angry do we have to be or do we not recognize our own anger. And also, I, I, I really do want to talk to you about the idea of how we begin the process of self-definition and self-determination and kind of like get on focus. We, we don't seem to be uh, very focused about where we're supposed to be headed. Uh, it's, it's really, really strange uh, because if you are saying 
that we have to get angry. And I am saying we have to get angry, but nobody seems to be getting angry. Uh, it's and and we have people, our people in this in this country, are struggling so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, we're putting a lot in and getting very little out. Our guest tonight is Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose, and we're going to take a break here at Our Common Ground, and we'll be right back. Do you really know about our past and our history? It's the annual Our Common Ground Black History Month Interactive Black History Knowledge Game. 25 questions, 10 points per question, and you call in and give us your answer and your score. Join us next week, March 1st, on Our Common Ground. It's Black History Facts. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. March 1st, Saturday, at Our Common Ground. What will you score on Our Common Ground? having some technical difficulties here at our common ground and uh, all of a sudden it all went kaplooky but we do want to remind you that next week we will be um, doing our our common ground black history games as um, they were scheduled for last week and we had the done uh, report tonight at our common ground. We are hosting a conversation with Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose, and uh, if we can get the board back up, we're getting errors all over the place. We want to thank you for being with us, um, and uh, remind you that we are here each Saturday at 10 p.m. In March, coming up, uh, March uh, 1st is the Black History Games rescheduled, and on March 8th, my good friend, talker, Norman Goldman of the Norman Goldman Show will be joining me to talk about independent radio. Um, And so we will 
we have totally lost our board. Uh, we will be meeting with him, and on March 15th, our brother, um, Taibi Lewis, we're going to be talking about black people and black sports teams and what's happening with that at our common ground. Dr. LaFrancis Rogers-Rose, can you hear me? Because I can't see yes, a thing. Sir. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for being uh, with us tonight. It is so important for us to, to get to our elders uh, so that we get a sense of exactly, we, we need to put our experiences in perspective. Okay, we're back. So um, our number, by the way, for those of you who would like to talk with us about the Black House Divided is 347-838-9852, and we would welcome your calls to talk with Dr. Francis, La Francis Rogers-Rose um, as we kind of wind down uh, Dr. Rogers-Rose, this, this Black History Month, and I think that people are taking more, paying more attention to what this month and how you use this month. Um, there are, I know in this part of the country, there are just loads of programs. Um, tonight there was a huge, it's called the Boston Blowout. It was a youth uh, program for for junior and high school students to do open mic about black history. And it was at the Reggie it, it was held at the Reggie Lewis Center. I imagine it's over now, but it started at six o'clock and I understand that there were like uh hundreds of kids uh at this event. Um and I don't know how many performers, but I think we are doing a much better job. Let me ask you, uh, Dr. Rogers-Rose, about how we reconstitute from where we kind of like fell off the, we, we, we didn't fall off the map, but we kind of fell off the, the way in which we need to be as a community. We don't talk about returning to our sources. Uh, right. I think part of, you know, if we look at, you know, where some of this major change started in the, the African American community, I think we've got to, you know, put it someplace, it, it, perhaps in the in the in the 70s. Uh, you know, we, as we were really talking about Black power and Black history and and trying to connect ourselves, we had a whole other force that that whole outside oppressive white forces coming in and. And the next thing you know, we had a lot of those black exploitation uh, movies, and um, we just, uh, within a matter of a few years, there was no more discussion about all of the things that we were talking about in the 50s and the 60s and in the early 70s. And then, you know, it just kind of morphed into a whole kind of way of, of talking about ourselves in, in, in ways that were... were uh, not positive uh, you know we've got the east coast and the west coast and we've come up with uh the different um uh 
hip hop artists that you know they they have these very uh, kind of words of war against each other, and I don't know that we've had that kind of thing historically, you know, with our music and and our ways of behaving that uh, that cultural piece becomes now sort of like a, a war piece. Uh, we had uh, you know Lois Tucker. God rest her soul, spent a lot of yes. energy time in terms of just trying to uh, have the, 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 these hip-hop artists to look at the kind of language that they were using in terms of not only defining themselves, but the way that they were defining African-American women. And so we, we have a number of forces, I would say, in the last what, 25, 30 years that were designed to kind of pull us apart. And then we went into seeing, uh, and I think um, Malcolm probably said it best, you know, we looked at, rather than looking at human rights, we were looking at civil rights or looking at integration. And in feeling that in, in order to integrate, we had to give up a lot. And so we've uh, given up a lot of our our sense of our own culture, although people have turned around and stolen our culture and given it back to us if it, if it were their culture. And so, you know, we just had the last uh, Grammy Awards now where you don't have any black artists winning, rhythm, uh, what, rhythm, rhythm and Blues or whatever that category. You know, you got white our, artists. Our Rhythm and Blues. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got white artists who are now performing all of the black music, and they are now being defined as the best in that category. And so there's just so many things that are happening to us that we need to talk about. And we, those of us who, who still can, can, can see and have some kind of voice, we need to let the young people understand, you know, what some of this means so that um, some of them may turn uh, in a different kind of direction, start making a different kind of a music, because it is obviously uh, whatever music we make, they will follow. Yes. So yes. You know, so. And and steal. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's been the history. You know, I I just I had a conversation with my granddaughter the other night about a song that was stolen uh, from Marvin Gaye's uh, songbook. Yeah. And. And blurred it was lines. a song, yeah, blurred lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and 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 she was saying to me, but don't you just love it? I said, yeah, I do. But guess what? I'm not playing it because mm-hmm. I don't I don't play that way. And your generation needs to understand that you have to stand on some principles, and principles are built through understanding from where you came. And I was so glad that you mentioned C. Dolores Tucker because at one point in the history of this broadcast, I had rappers threatening me. Mm. The Two Live crew, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I had to take out a, 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 a harassment complaint with the police department because I was supporting what 
uh, C. Dolores Tucker was saying that this stuff was going to be destructive to us, and indeed it has been. It has been. And so, you know, you've got, I mean, I, with my organization, we always have had um, a youth part so that you make sure that you're training, you know, another generation of, 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 of kids coming behind you, some girls, but just talking to these 9, 10, 12, 11-year-old girls, the kinds of conversations that they're having about themselves that they have gotten from some of this music and the ways of behaving, it's, 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 yep. we got to I mean, the, work. The, 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 some of the, you know, one of the things that in, in all of the literature and all of the speeches and lectures that I have heard from you, you always talk about how black people throughout the, our history on these shores have been not only teachers of morality because we came here with a certain strain of understanding our humanity that the people who, who brought us here did not have. We taught them. We taught each other. And in this country, we have been the barometer of a moral principle around humanity and to have uh, interjected into our culture some of the most vile and inhuman kind of thinking, it, is, it breeds a certain amount of discord and destruction. Right, and then I also understand, I'm not as familiar with the, the whole music industry, but I also understand that uh, part of the, the lyrics are lyrics that the white producers want to hear. And I, I'm sure I've read someplace where if a, a rapper had a song that wasn't quite harsh enough, the uh-huh. person would reject it and say, come back with something else. And so some of those some of that uh, real harshness that we've, we've heard in some of the rapping music is this is what they're being paid to do mm-hmm. and being paid to say. They're the ones that if you say it harsh enough, you can make more money. And so we, um, we're getting it, you know, from a, a, a whole lot of sources. But and it, it goes back to, me, to Go on. It goes back to what you, the point that you just made, it goes back to understanding that we can't fight oppression with the master's tools. No, we can't. And so we have to know our own values. We have to know our own culture. And I always say that our our culture didn't start 400 years ago on these shores. We've got to know that we have a history that is the longest history of any race in the world, and that it was from out of our history that spirituality, uh, philosophy, and all of the sciences were born. And so um, I think it was W.E.B. Du Bois who said that, that in spite of all of the treatments and things that had happened to uh, African uh, in, in the United States, that he, 
he has never found a more humane people than people of African ancestry because we were taught to take care of our own. We have always been an extended family. Um, there was no such thing as kids did not, if, if a mother died or a sister died or a relative died and they had young children, it was no such thing as somebody putting this child in an orphanage because that child was in some kind of way absorbed within the community. You know, you might you would have informal adoptions. We still have a lot of informal adoptions, but not nearly as many as we used to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, the culture's not dead. It's just at this point a layer has been placed on it that hopefully the more we talk about it, and I think as that generation gets older, this hip-hop generation gets older and they're having children and they don't want their children to hear these kinds of things or they don't want their daughters to be called the names that they call somebody else's daughters, they may mm-hmm. start uh, writing a different kind, some different kinds of lyrics and some different kinds of songs. So we I, just, those of us who can still speak and who can still see and try to speak truth to power, we just have to continue to do what we got to do until we can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talk to us about... Uh, for as uh, uh, about this whole understanding of Mott and Sankofa, I think that many people don't um, have a good sense of what it means and how it can be used as a tool. Well, you know the great. Um uh, Obanga, who's from Guinea, and who was also a, 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 a co-patriot of uh, Shikanta the Ope, he said that without with without Mayat, there is no life. That that as a people, we cannot exist without this whole sense of truth, a, a whole sense of justice and a whole sense of rightness, and that our behavior and what we do has to be about treating people right, doing right, and striving toward what my art would be, and that is uh, balancing the scales of justice. And I think that what each of us should be doing on a daily basis is trying to make sure that we are re- are living our lives as as rightness as we can. And uh, for some people, you can go and find the 42 affirmations of my art. Or you can just look at your great-grandmother or your great-great-grandmother and see how she lived her life. And for some of us, we still have some mothers who live their lives in such a way that you can see my art every day. You can see people who they 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 uh, and Africans say women speak sweet, 
and make things right. And they can they can decide and they can part between what's right and what's wrong. Um, that that's what women do. Um, the the scales of justice from the ancient Kemet is in the image of a woman. And the, the, on on her head is a feather. And they say that uh, when you when you die, your soul must weigh no heavy, and and the soul then is in the image then of the heart. But say the heart must weigh no heavier than the feather of my art. And you know how light a feather is. And so that means walking through this life, walking through earth, these number of years that you will be here, you must say, I have done the best that I can. I have not done wrong by anybody. I haven't taken food from a child. I have not ignored those people who did not have. I, you know, I've done this justice piece. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the work that we do, I just say I, the work that I do, I want on that day to say, to say that I've done the best that I can to to write the scales because they say when you die, will you be given the heart of your mother? It, that and so that that's, that's the image these righteous women, and that's the image I think that that we try to develop within the International Black Women's Congress. We we try to bring forth exemplary models of black womanhood. You know, we 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 want to be sisters to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. And Zinga Warfield Coppett, who was one of our life members and who's an ancestor, she said to us many years ago, and we use this as our motto, she said, when your sister is your hairdresser, you need no mirror. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I had never heard that one before, but um, that, that's a wonderful thing to have rolling around in your head yes. as you uh, move from day, day to day. I hope everybody heard that, that when your sister is your hairdresser, hairdresser. you need no you mirror. You need no mirror. Wow. So that's the motto we teach our girls, as, and, you know, we're trying to, so you don't need to be jealous of each other, you know. Uh, you, 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 you go into an African society, and they're trying to make, each one of them is trying to make the other one look beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, or you go into an African society, and they're all buying the same material, and they're going to buy all, they're going to come out for a special occasion. They all have on these gorgeous outfits, and each sister knows that she is looking good. Because that's what we're supposed to do. You know, it's not about me one-upping. Mm-hmm. And the other culture that we are living a part of has this competitive thing. But our culture has not historically been about competition. In fact, if you were raised in the old way, your mother would make sure that if you thought you had something better than your sister, she would make sure your sister had it, not you. Mm-hmm. So they had ways of making sure that you treated people right. You were kind of forced as a, at a very young age to do things that now I don't know the children are being taught that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were raised to be seen and not heard. 
you know, um, the, 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 the other culture thinks that children, you know, should be right up in the midst of things. <laughs> I grew up in a, at a time where you say, no, grown people are talking in here. You need to be over there where the children are. I remember that well. Huh? And I then this remember that you well. Say, when you get old enough, you can come in this room. But then when you get in the room and you get old enough, you find out they, they weren't talking about anything. But it's just that they didn't want to be around children where they might have slipped up or said something. Mm-hmm. You know, so they kept their business to themselves. I tell mm-hmm. some of the sisters now when I do training, why are you discussing these issues with your child? Your son or your daughter doesn't have any money. They can't do anything about that. And it makes them have a sense of helplessness. Right. You know, my mom's had her girlfriends that she could go discuss this with. She had her girlfriends that I guess she could borrow a few pennies with, you know. Mm -hmm. But they sure didn't tell me about it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I had a happy life. I didn't realize that I didn't have anything. I was happy. You know, I saw my mother going two or three jobs, but my mother wasn't, you know, complaining to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's really like interesting it. because now you see in our in our family, and I call black people our family, in our family when we have Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, the children sitting at the big table. When I was growing up, there was a table that was set that looked like the big table, but it was for the children to be over on the side having their own discussion so the adults could talk freely. Absolutely. Absolutely. We and we have about lost. <laughs> There's so many things, La Francis, that we have lost. It's like, and you know. We, and at least we who remember that need to tell our children, and hopefully they will tell their children. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. my children were raised in, in in that way, that the children were over here doing something and the adults were over here doing something. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my I, I know. Was, you know, in our families now, we need to, to break some of the, the uh, confusion about the family hierarchy. When I was growing up, the last thing you wanted was for your mother or father to report something negative to your grandmother or your grand well your grandfather but to your grandmother. Mhm. You didn't want big mama to know you had messed up because she didn't play. Right. Right. So we just you know, even that whole thing in terms of our culture, of of the respect that historically we had for the elders. Mhm. And, yes. and uh, a, a lot of that is, is missing, you know. Do you think uh, some of that comes from our, you know, we have a great deal of familiarity with our spiritual leaders, with our political leaders, you know. I mean, I was at a political thing yesterday, and I do want to um, take a moment to shout out to my grandson who did a wonderful spectacular and outstanding job as the youth speaker at a multi-million dollar building groundbreaking yesterday. Wow. Um, But I think that we we do have too much familiarity. I heard uh, the mayor being um, um, 
called Marty and and the city councilor being called by his first name and uh everybody was doing the first name things with the governor and you know and I'm going wait a minute these people are supposed to be dignitaries and maybe it's because they're not delivering and they are not leading properly that people forget forget they have some titles here and, and it's, it's the same thing with our president it's not where everybody the way calls that, him obama right it's not the way that we were raised to say uh mr and mrs and exactly. yes ma'am and no ma'am and so um, you call. You just could not call an elder by his or her first name. Exactly. Exactly. But if you're coming into a culture that is not your culture, which is what we're in, and now this culture is calling everybody by their first name, including our president, you know, so that we don't even say President Obama. I say President Obama. But a lot of people are just calling him by his first name. Um, it's for raised in the a historical African American culture that would be disrespectful. A- absolutely, and and that is what we need to be concentrating about, folks, is to go back and claim what constituted this infrastructure that helped us survive 400 and some years or whatever how many years it was of just constant oppression. Well, that's, that, we that's need to go back and, and claim some of it. That's, that's the Sankofa. We need yes. to repeat our, our history, our culture, as other people repeat their histories and cultures. We can't let other people tell us that our culture and our history was not important, and how we raised our children was not important. And so we just have to uh, catch our grandchildren when they want to call us other than uh, grandma or some. For many of us, we didn't even know what our grandmother's real name was. Uh I I know. It was never said. I know. I I think I was in high school when I You know? No. The way that I knew my grandmother's name was we had to send her cards. Mm -hmm. She didn't live where we lived, so we had to send her Mother's Day cards and Christmas cards and stuff and thank you cards for gifts. So that's how I learned my grandmother's name because even my mother and father, continued to call her mother. Mhm. So there were some married I, couples, you know, they would some married couples would call themselves Mr. and Mrs. Mhm. around their children, you know? So I know. I know. To, and even um, even when I was a kid, my mother used to refer to her father as Mr. Speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I used to make fun of that, but now I understand um, how that might have been and why that came to be. So uh, you're, you're absolutely right. LaFrancis, I do have to take this break. And for those of you who are just joining us, this is our common ground, and our guest tonight is Dr. 
LaFrancis Rogers Rose. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. We're going to have some time for your phone calls, and you need to get on the board, and don't forget, you must select one in order to talk. We'll be right back at Our Common Ground. So what are the conditions? What I call a search for core black culture. What happens to a people's character? What happens to a people's personality who is forcefully snatched from its existential basis and placed in a culture that is diametrically opposed to the very core of their own character? What happens when you're placed in a culture that hates women and sees women as a commodity to be bought and sold? You can't see a TV commercial in this country unless you've got a woman in front of there, barely clothed, looking like she can't barely think for herself, selling a commodity. A Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming Truth to Power, one broadcast at a time. Stay tuned. Drilling down, just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. You know that the ice cream scoop can make a child smile, and that by slowing us down, the traffic light can keep us going. You know that the lawnmower makes life easier, that the blood bank makes life possible. But did you know all these ideas came from the minds of African Americans? Support the United Negro College Fund, because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Visit uncf.org or call 1-800-332-UNCF. Brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. Join India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. Fridays and Saturdays, 11 a.m. It's the I Declare Friday and Saturday brunch. If you want your news real and your talk raw and right now, it's Friday and Saturday. India Declare at the I Declare brunch. Real, raw, and right now, India is live. Friday and Saturday morning. 11 a.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. On Blog Talk Radio. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now.
You're here because you know something. What do you know you can't explain? But you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Like a splinter in your mind. Driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window. Or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work. When you go to church. When you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. You are a slave. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Black people still don't get it. 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 You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Transforming truth, truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now to our common ground with Janice Graham. And thank you for being with us. Uh, it is Saturday, and we are here each Saturday evening at 10 p.m. speaking truth to power and ourselves. Tonight, our guest, Dr. LaFrancis Rogers-Rose. She is the CEO of the International Black Women's Congress. And in this segment, talking with her, we're going to talk about what she is doing this year in the International Black Women's Congress conference. Dr. Rogers-Rose, what's happening and what's the date? Yes, we're having our 30th annual conference. Uh, It's going to be in Norfolk, Virginia, September the 26th to the 28th. Now, that gives everybody enough time to put it together. Did you hear the date? September 26th. Presenters, you know, speakers, we're looking at... uh, economic development or the economic health of of black women. And so we're looking at some uh, structural uh, issues of black women in poverty. We're looking at uh, our income. What are we doing with the billion, with the trillion dollars that we make every year? I mean, how, uh, how can we begin to use those monies in such a way that we begin to take care of ourselves, uh, 
what are some of the the structural things that um, have been put in place to keep us from uh, reaping any of the benefits of this society, uh, looking at uh, the amount of wealth that we've lost in the last few years, you know. And so there's just a whole number of issues that we want to look at. And so we're looking for uh, people, uh, some people who looked at some of these issues back in the 60s, some community development kinds of things that we did early in the 50s that we might see can we redevelop these things and bring them forth in terms of this 21st century and uh, we're dealing with some of the very you know same kinds of issues mm-hmm. so uh hopefully I, 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 go on Jane. i'm hoping that people in this audience will plan to attend this conference it ignites and helps you plan with other people the things that we need to have going on in our community, uh, Dr. Rogers-Rose. It really does. I mean, when when I attended the conference in Newark in way back, uh, the, the first conference on um, domestic violence and black women and met yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the parents, I met the parents of the Kimba Smith, of Kimba Smith at yes. your conference. Yes. And I spent the next two and a half years doing nothing but making sure that this woman got justice. Yes, and Kimba and I are still close today, and she's around here in the in the Norfolk area now. And yeah. Just doing a lot of great work. But, she really um, is. It's a wonderful story. Wonderful but story, I'm hoping that if you are a person that has an agenda item that you take seriously, a commitment to that item, you can go to this conference and find other people who share your commitment. And I'm hoping one that... Of the people... I, one of the things that I like to say to the group, too, is that if we take a conference theme, that's what we talk about for the whole weekend. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. people can take a theme and you can't see the theme any place. We will be talking about issues of of black women and economic development for the whole weekend. Yeah. And what we're working on right now from out of the the conference, which was on the economic uh, health of black women, a journey toward financial wellness, which was the whole individual focus, we are working on an edited volume of that conference from at least 15 of the speakers who were there uh, that weekend in Atlanta with us last year. And so we're hoping, I mean, my original vision was that every conference that we had, it would be so powerful and such fantastic African, uh, women of African ancestors addressing the issue, some of the best minds in the world, that we would each year have this these volumes that we produced. Mm-hmm. So far we've only done about four, but... Uh, the, the the vision is still there, and hopefully uh, we can backtrack on some of the conferences and maybe still pull some volumes together. That's what mm-hmm. my, my my desire, you know, is. Dr. Rogers-Rose, tell our audience how they can get in touch with you, please. Yes, we are the International Black Women's Congress. Our telephone number is uh, 757-625-0500. Our website is 
www.ibwc.us. It is under reconstruction now, and so it may not be back up until mid-March, but uh, we're working on it. I just met yesterday with uh, the web designer, and so we're really trying to make sure that we are looking 21st century and also want to make some linkage with a number of other organizations that are doing Mm -hmm. similar kinds of things to make sure that, you know, we kind of uh, are together. And and there are a number of us out here. And and so it's not all bleak. And there are still some African-American sisters and brothers who are getting together and having relationships. Uh, So we don't want to leave thinking that all is lost. But we do know that it's, it takes a concerted effort at this point in time for us to stay together as a family because uh, so many people don't want us to be together as a family. And so we must make our own effort to make sure that we try to have positive relationships between black men and black women. Mm -hmm. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been so uplifting and so helpful in our struggle to make sense uh, and to save ourselves from the madness. We just have to step right out of the matrix and create and and rebuild and nurture the infrastructure that is has safely brought us across and that is inside of us as 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 you have have pointed out that we have these things they're they're part of our history and we need to apply them in facing the challenges that we face. Dr. LaFrancis Rogers-Rose, thank you so very much, and I hope you'll come back in August as you progress in putting the conference together for the International Black Women's Congress September 26th conference. I would love to, and thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed um, our, our the time just goes by. So so fast. It doesn't even look yes, like we've been on for nearly two hours. But I really <laughs> have enjoyed it. And I just want the the audience to know that, one, the struggle continues, that this is not the first time that we've been in a situation where it looks like all was not well. And I like to repeat uh, and tell people that uh, right after uh, the uh, Civil War and um, the Reconstruction Era, and um, the North had given up and left the South to, to, to the whites to do whatever they wanted to do. And I understand that Frederick Douglass was just so despondent. And Sojourner Truth said to him, said, Frederick, is God dead? And so I say to the audience, God is not dead. Justice is on our side. Rightness is on our side. And all we have to do is to keep the struggle. Well, amen. Thank you, Dr. Rogers Rose, and we look forward to seeing you uh, and continuing to engage with you up until your conference in September. Thank you so very much. We are so honored to have had you. Thank you. And take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. That was Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rose. 
And if you want to know more about her, you can join her. I posted it in our chat room. Uh, the IBWC website is ibwc.us, www.ibwc.us. And you can find her on Facebook, the International Black Women's Congress, as well as she has her personal Facebook page, as well as the IBWC uh, web um, Facebook page. Thank you all so very much for for being with us tonight. We want to remind you that next week, bring your pad, your pencil, your children. I won't be cussing at all uh, next week because I'm expecting children. And uh, my wonderful grand prince, Miles Graham, is going to co-host with me in the black in our annual Black History Games. And this is how it works. We give you a question. You can work with your, by yourself, or you can invite your children and your family, and everybody figures out what the answer is. You call in to our call-in number. You give us the answer and your score after we have gone through the 20 questions. You will have the ability to do two things when you call in. You can pick up extra points for your team or your family or yourself by answering bonus questions that we'll have for you. Or you can pose a bonus question for a team or individual who doesn't have enough scores, and we're hoping everybody will get to at least 200. Now, these questions are not easy. They're not going to be softball questions. So we suggest that you go over to www.blackpass.org and start studying. You had an extra week. And on March 8th, I'm just real pleased to be able to talk about independent talk radio with, my, with one of my favorite talkers, Norman Goldman. So we'll see you next week, and we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And don't forget, we have work to do. We've got to decide what is our end game. I'm Janice Graham. This is Our Common Ground. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with our sister and foremother, Dr. LaFrancis Rogers Rhodes. Thank you so much, my sister. We treasure you in our hearts, and we thank you for your brilliance with your service to our community and to black women across the diaspora will always be remembered on our common ground. And to our listeners and supporters, thank you for joining us tonight at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., it's Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Make sure you stay in touch. And our website's at ourcommonground.com, ourcommonground-talk.ning.com, like us and subscribe to us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Janice OCG. Don't forget, the first rule 
of change and revolution is to support those who can see through your lenses. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Just roll. 